This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading this morning can be found in the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Press. If you have your copy of God's Word, I just ask you to open it there or leave it there if you've already turned there to Luke chapter 6 as we continue looking at, looking at Luke's account of Jesus' life. Just before we jump in, let's take a moment and pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do come before you, and Lord, we are very thankful, thankful for your gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we look around the globe, we see there's concern on every front. Lord, we, we recognize that disease and, and, and brokenness, despair in many regards are, are everywhere around us. Death is a reality. And yet, Lord, we know that ultimately salvation is found, hope is found in Jesus Christ, your gift to us. Jesus, thank you for coming and taking on human flesh. Thank you for living a sinless life. Thank you for your willingness to go to the cross and take and clothe yourself in our sin while giving us your righteousness. Thank you for the victory of the cross, the empty tomb declares. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming and convicting, for teaching, for sharpening. Lord, we are very mindful that we as a church have been sent on mission to be your disciples, that we've been called to be your ambassadors, your witnesses. And Lord, we pray that we would be faithful in every regard. Lord, we pray that we would be mindful of the opportunities you give us every day to be on mission for you. Lord, we're mindful of the churches that we've been able to pour into. And Lord, we're thankful for each face that was represented in the videos, plus all the faces that weren't. And Lord, we do pray for those who are are struggling to rebuild or to reorganize their young churches during this pandemic. And yet, Lord, we pray that you would give them diligence and and give them further for your glory, Lord. Lord, we pray for that here at First Pres, that we would have a passion for you, that what we would be consumed with is Christ, that we would be seeking ways to make much of you, your glory, your fame, your name. Lord, in those areas where we fall short, we, we acknowledge we're sinners and we look to the cross for the hope and the forgiveness it supplies. Lord, we know there are many in our congregation that truly are struggling. Lord, I pray for the Thomas family, Lord, with the loss of Ed. I pray, Lord, for Blanche and I pray for Missy, God. I pray that you would just reach out to them and hold them close. 
for Blanche to have also lost a son and Missy a brother, as well as to lose a father within just a few short months of each other, God, has got to be overwhelming. God, we know there are many that are suffering and many that are hurting. And Lord, so we look to Christ and we point others to Christ. Lord, fill us up today. Lord, use the preaching of your word to minister to our souls, to transform us. Lord, we pray each and every week that we would be changed, that we would be made more and more in the image of Christ, that we would reflect that in the way in which we live and be. And so, God, we do pray that in all things you would be glorified. I pray, Lord, that you would protect my words, that I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say. But God, I pray that I'd be faithful to your word in its entirety this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. I have a real sharp memory in my mind of a time when my oldest son, Noah, was very little. There was a tree in my mom's yard. We were at grandma's, and I remember him hanging from this tree. And as any good dad, I saw this as a perfect moment to take a picture. As I saw him hanging there, I could see the fear, which slowly his lips began to quiver, and gradually uh, fear began to come from his, his quaking voice of, Daddy, rescue me. I could see that what was occurring there was that he was panicking, but I couldn't pass up on the moment to take a beautiful shot. But you know, it's in those moments that we see real fear. It's in those moments that we experience real concern, that we recognize how desperate each and every one of us really is. If we're really honest with ourselves, when we look at ourselves in the mirror, it's not how good and how perfect we are and how awesome we are. It's how broken and needy we are. See, we live in a broken world. The brokenness is all around us. We see it in the, in the fear, in the pain that we live through and that we know so well. We've experienced the suffering and the disappointment of this life. And the question before each and every one of us is where do we go for help? Where do we go? I like to think that I run to my heavenly father as my son, hanging from that tree, yelled out to his earthly father. And I like to believe that my heavenly father doesn't stand there and take pictures, but truly comes to my aid. And I've experienced that in a variety of ways where I've seen him reach out and literally protect and, and hold me and care for me. But you know, it was when I was in seminary and I was studying to be a, a pastor, I was told by one of the professors, Marin, ministry is people. Ministry at its very core is people. It's meeting them where they're at. It's offering hope of the gospel right in that moment. You know, church, that's exactly what we see Jesus doing in our text this morning. We see Jesus meeting people right where they're at, and he's offering them real hope. Look at verse 17 of our text. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from Judea, Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. These people were gathered there around Jesus. But one of the things I want to draw you to is that Jesus came down to meet them. 
Don't blow by those words that Jesus came down. If we remember in the story of Luke as he describes the events of Jesus' life, Jesus went up the mountain to pray. Jesus went up the mountain to pray specifically for the 12 that he would select to be apostles, to be servants of the kingdom. And here we're told in the text, now Jesus is coming down. He stood. He literally positioned himself to minister to the people, to the great crowd. He positioned himself to minister to the great multitude who was gathered there to hear him, to be healed by him. Those who live in a broken world full of sin and disease and even death are gathered there before Jesus. And what were they doing there? They were looking for hope. They were looking for salvation. Understand, they were not gathered there to evaluate Jesus' ministry like the Pharisees. They were not there to, to go through a checklist of did he meet our standard. No, the people who were gathered there in that moment were there to be recipients of Jesus' ministry. They were there truly as needy people. They understood who they were, and they were desperate. So they called out for Jesus. And Jesus met them right where they were at. Friends, that's a beautiful picture of the incarnation. That here the world is deep in sin and darkness. Because of the fall of Adam, sin entered the world, and with sin came death. Did God sit back and say, tough, let's see how you hang on. No, he sent his very own son who made in human flesh, came and dwelt amongst us for what purpose? To die. To ultimately offer a way of salvation. Paul reminds us of this in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, when he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's the reason Jesus came. He met us where we're at in the midst of our tragedy, in the midst of our mess. He comes to deal with our problems. You know, that's one of the things I love about church planners. They intentionally seek opportunity to get in the mess of people's lives. The first time I met with Brian Evans, who told me he wanted to go back to the east side of Detroit to plant a church where he grew up, to the people who so desperately needed Jesus, I remember sitting in that coffee shop asking myself a question, do I really have the same hunger for my people that Brian has for the people in his community? The good news is that day Jesus was reflected in the life of Brian Evans. And it challenged Aaron Carr as to whether I have that same passion and zeal for others that Jesus had in the pursuit of our salvation, meeting us in our need, in our sin, in our depravity, in our desire for lustful things. It's there that Jesus meets us to save us to hold us, 
to carry us as a good shepherd does to feed us and protect us. That's why Jesus came. And I would draw your attention to who's there in that crowd, that these are not just one type of person, but people from all over, Jerusalem and Judea, Tyre and Sidon. These people are from all over. They're made up of Jews and Gentiles, and there they are gathered around Jesus, seeking to be healed, seeking to hear and teach. And Jesus does something absolutely astounding He doesn't turn anyone away. Oh, how often we look for particular people to minister to. We want our niche rather than recognize those whom God has placed before us. Those co-workers that you can't stand are God's gift to you. Those neighbors that are annoying about the fence, they're God's gift The family you've been birthed into is God's gift. It's a gift of an opportunity to serve just like him. How often people would say, I'd prefer not to go home. I'd prefer not to go back to the neighborhood I came from. Send me to Hawaii, Aaron. You know what? The UK kind of looks nice, but not Brian. He wanted to return home. That's what makes the incarnation so unbelievable. Jesus wasn't returning home. He was leaving home to come to our messed up reality. And he did it willingly. He did it out of a heart for salvation, driven by love. And you know what's most amazing about this text? Right there in the middle of verse 17, it says that Jesus didn't come down alone, but he came down with them. Do you know who the them is? It's not the legions of angels. It was the 12 apostles he had selected for the work of ministry. I really believe in this text is a picture of the call for residency, the call for internships, the call for training, the call for preparing for the work of ministry, the preparing of the saints to dig in and do the work of the church. That's exactly what we see as Jesus takes position. He stands literally positioning himself to minister to the people. He looks to his disciples and he says, Look at me. Look at what I do. Look at how I serve. So church, I ask you this morning, what does Jesus' ministry teach you about your calling as a disciple? Where are you missing it? Who are you forgetting? Where are you wrong that you need to correct How are you personally meeting people right where they're at and pointing them to Jesus? We have been given every day of our lives as an opportunity to serve the one who saved us. How are we doing with that? See, those are the things that I believe are going through the minds of these young disciples. What was I called to? What am I doing here? What's my purpose? Do I have to do that? Look who he's hanging out with. The Gentiles? 
Come on, Jesus. The demon possessed, no way. The sick, we might get the disease. All the while missing the opportunity to serve our king. But it's how Jesus does this. Jesus' ministry, according to Luke, is, is made up of a twofold theme of word and deed. Everything you read through the Gospel of Luke is tangled in the web of word and deed, word and deed. We see it here that as Jesus came, the people wanted to hear and they wanted to be healed. Word and deed. And so Jesus taught. And over the next several weeks, we'll learn a lot about what Jesus taught these particular group of people. But one thing is very clear. Jesus, in his teaching, always declares who he is and why he came. Because without Jesus, there's no hope. Without Jesus, there's no healing. And the people who gathered there that day, made up of Jews and Gentiles, were all hungry to hear Jesus because Jesus taught like no one else. According to Luke 4.32, they were astonished at his teaching as one who possessed authority. They gathered from all over to hear him, and Jesus met with them. And Jesus pointed them to himself. Friends, isn't that what our preaching and teaching should all be about? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, all of our preaching, all of our teaching should be about Jesus. I heard a story just recently of a church that had a, had a beautiful cross, and the regular pastor was a very tall man, but one particular Sunday, they had a guest speaker, and he came in, and he was pretty short, just like your pastor, and as he, as he entered the pulpit, and he began to preach. A little girl leaned over to her mother and says, Mother, where's the man who usually blocks our view of Jesus? That's deep. But how often are we blocking the view of Jesus in our preaching, in our teaching? How often are we making it more about ourselves? I'm so done with popular Christianity. I'm so done with pastors who want to make a name for themselves and build their kingdoms. We should be about the king. Our lives should be consumed in his glory and making much of him. For he, when he came, declared himself as the savior of the world. But friends, Jesus didn't just teach. Jesus acted. In my fear of many Christian churches of today, they'll sit and they'll wrestle through theology, but they'll never act upon it. They'll never seize ways in which to serve the kingdom. They'll never get their hands dirty in the soil. And yet constantly we see in Jesus' life that he not only preached, but he acted. He healed. And Jesus healed the most vulnerable. By performing these miracles, Jesus was demonstrating through his power who he was and why he's come. 
That power was displayed that he have victory not only over the physical world as he healed diseases, but over the spiritual world as he was curing those who were troubled by unclean spirits. Do you see that in the text? Verse 18 makes it very clear that he has power both over the physical and the spiritual. So therefore, salvation is provided not just in the physical realm, but the spiritual realm. Jesus comes in the midst of our disease and he brings healing for body, soul, and mind. He comes in the greatest hour of our concern and he heals completely, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. One of the hardest things about a pastor's job is to listen to all the burdens of others. It's not because you don't care. It's because you feel in so many ways the weight of the world upon your shoulders. My wife can testify to the number of times I've come home with tears in my eyes, and she'll say, I'm praying for you. She never asks the weight of the world at times can seem so overwhelming, and yet my Savior is more powerful. Those moments drive me to my knees as I realize he's the one who offers real freedom, real deliverance, real healing. He heals us from all of our ailments. Yes, he can heal us of our physical afflictions, but he also heals of all of our emotional breakdowns. He heals us, most importantly, of our spiritual separation from the one who owns everything. And why did he do this? Because of great love. For God so loved the world. He sent him because he came for love. And when he came, he came to do all of this and was able to do all of this because of who he was. One of his disciples, I think, explains it well. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree. He himself, God himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He didn't go to the tree just so we could keep living the same mundane, broken, weak lives. But he came so that by his wounds you might be healed. Victory is found in Jesus. Hope is found in Jesus. Therefore, we need to get out of the way and point to Jesus. We need to point to Jesus in what we teach and what we preach. We need to point to Jesus in what we do and how we love. Point to Jesus. See, church, each of us has to ask the question, Where are we pointing people? Where are we pointing people? When we preach or teach and it's all about us, we're pointing them to ourselves. 
when we neglect to care for the needs of others, but we want to tell them how much Jesus loves them, they get a mixed message, and they begin to think, I don't want a Jesus like that. How important it's that we preach and we do the actions of love in Jesus' name. But how often we're like that taller preacher blocking people from Jesus. So friends, I ask you, who are you pointing people to? Because I will tell you clearly, as we see in verse 19, all the crowd are truly seeking him. You see, that's not true. It's not, it's not possible. What I tell you is they're seeking hope. They're seeking answers. They just don't know it's him. They're confused and they're wondering. And so they go to science or they go to psychology or they go to self-help books and they look for answers. The neighbors are looking for answers because their world is as broken as ours. They're hanging from the tree wondering who will save them. But the world tells them, look to the government. The world tells them, Look within yourself. The world tells them, try harder, be better. Life will be different. Friends, you know how discouraging those words are? To heap on more do's and don'ts rather than to point to Jesus. See, what's beautiful about verse 19 is this crowd had heard about Jesus. They had heard that, that he taught as, as no one else. And maybe some of them had even heard him speak before. And maybe they had seen some of his actions. But now they were there gathered to be healed by him. And so it says, all the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him and he healed them all. Church, don't miss this. They desired Christ they sought to teach him. These people were willing to travel many miles from Jerusalem and Judea, Tyre and Sidon. They did it because they were looking for hope. And we should be pointing them to Jesus. The truth of the matter is we should be running to Jesus. We should be running to Jesus with all of our brokenness with all of our hurt, with all of our suffering. Because the more we get in the habit of running to Jesus with all of our pain, we're quicker to point others down the same way. And why should we be pointing people to Jesus? Because power comes out from him and he heals them all. They were all healed, all who were there. Everyone, one after another. One of the most amazing things is that Luke wants us to redirect our attention. Luke, in what he says here, in just some few words, is placing attention not simply on the power of Jesus, but where the source of that power is from, Jesus himself. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look. To Jesus. He is the source of all of our healing. Jesus is the source of all of our hope. 
In the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There is salvation in no other else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. Salvation is found in Christ. And understand this. Jesus commands all of our attention. He doesn't want to share it with anyone or anything else. Jesus commands all of our attention. Jesus will not be ignored. In his first coming, he reveals himself as our Savior. For today, it says, is the day of salvation. Today's the day we should run and cry out, Help us, Lord Jesus. For tomorrow, it says, will be too late. For in his second coming, it is revealed that he comes as a perfect judge in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But with that will come judgment. So church, I ask you, do you know him as Savior or simply as judge? The truth of the matter is we all live in a broken world and we are all running around looking for help. But where are we going? To whom are we running? The good news is Jesus heals. The good news is Jesus heals. May we know Jesus and may our confidence be in him. As his disciples, this should give us confidence, confidence to preach his name to others. We should be encouraged to fulfill his mission, to be willing to take endeavors of going forth and proclaiming Christ. But if we're not his disciple, we should be. For he alone can offer the hope each of us desperately craves. For in Jesus, we see one who entered our brokenness to heal us through word and deed. Therefore, we should all run to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you. I thank you, Lord, for your opportunity you've given us as a church to gather around your word, to know you better, and I pray, Lord, that we would know Jesus. Not a Jesus of our own making, but the Jesus of Scripture. The Jesus who is described through word and deed. The Jesus who all power comes from. The Jesus in whom reigns upon the earth even now. And so, Lord, I pray that we would run to the arms of the Savior rather than face the justice of the judge. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.